Hey guys, today's episode is so exciting because I was interviewing one of the very first purchasers of Birth Story Academy, Morgan. And because of that, I wanted to really like be there for her and reward her for investing early in Birth Story Academy when she had an unplanned and unexpected induction at 37 weeks due to gestational hypertension. And that was after a fertility journey and she had suffered a loss. So today we get into the whole entire story. We talk about her fertility journey, her loss, her gestational hypertension, and her induction after her preparation in Birth Story Academy. Okay, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story. I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. So like, let's say you're pregnant. That's why you're listening to the birth story podcast and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions Pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan? I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, wash that anxiety away. Because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy, and you are ready to crush that birth. Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. 
Hey, Morgan. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Hi. So you guys, Morgan is a Birth Story Academy graduate. And we kind of had the unique opportunity to just kind of text message a little bit and communicate because she was in Birth Story Academy and I happened to not be at a birth the time that she was in her her induction. We were able to chat a little bit and that was really special because Morgan, you're actually the first person from Birth Story Academy that I privately and personally coached a little bit through your labor. How wonderful. I joke. I call it doula light because I definitely got like the perks of a a little bit of doula, doula light a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm in North Carolina and Morgan is in Texas. And so she didn't hire me, you guys, for doula services. It just was happenstance that I was available and she was in the middle of this and we'd built a relationship in the Facebook group and through Birth Story Academy. And so it was kind of fun to just jump on and, you know, like you said, do a little light, just do a little <laughs> something and help move your birth story in, in a positive direction. Um, so Morgan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am um, 30 years old. I am born and raised in North Texas. And my husband and I are actually high school sweethearts. We have been married for almost 10 years. Um, so we decided to start trying to have a baby around 2019. Um, and now I have a beautiful and giggly and bubbly five month old named Fallon. Oh, I love it. What's your husband's name? Matthew. Matthew. Okay. Yeah. So, cause I know Matthew's going to listen to this episode oh, too. Sure. So like shout out to Matthew for some good communication also during your induction. All right. Well, trigger warning you guys, when we get started, um, Morgan's going to take us on a fertility journey that includes a loss. So if that's triggering for you, I would just go ahead and skip through that. So Morgan, start with 2019 and you and Matthew, again, you were high school sweethearts. You've been together a really long time time and you started family planning. What did that look like? So we knew um, that I had a uterine septum that had to be removed before really anything could happen. So um, I had that septum removed towards the end of 2019. um, And then we were told, hold off for three to six months, do nothing. Um, So I started tracking my cycles instead of using birth control. Um, and we were avoiding until probably the close to the end of the fall of 2020 and then realized pretty quickly that something was up with my cycle. So I was able to kind of go back through the app that I was using and I had to physically write out, um, on a calendar, like all of my cycles. Um, my cousin Katie talked to me through all of it and she's like, something's up. You need to go look at this. So the app that I was using was just kind of auto adjusting windows. And so I wasn't really getting accurate, accurate data out of it. So realized pretty quickly, like, oh, I have 45 day cycles sometimes, or I have 39 day cycles sometimes. So um, went into my OB right away. She's like, yep, you've got an ovulation issue. So we started Clomid just out the gate very quickly. We did three rounds of Clomid with my OB. um, And in an effort to be really proactive, I went ahead and made an appointment with a fertility specialist here in North Texas which I'm very glad that I did. Cause when I think my understanding is when you jump into Clomid that quickly, like you're, you're kind of spending chances that they might need for IVF later on or for IUI later on. And um, multiples. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> which already runs in the family. So we were like, this is dicey. Yeah. Um, so we 
uh, started with a fertility specialist in March of 2021. We, again, moved pretty aggressively, but she had wanted us to resection my septum, um, and we had declined. We said, I think we're good. You know, let's give it a shot. She was comfortable with that. And, and you so, had already had the one surgery two years prior. Yes. Right. So we had already had the one surgery two years prior. There was essentially like a lip of scar tissue left over that she was concerned about. Okay. Um, and she, she said, I'm comfortable giving it a shot. Let's see what happens. But we're going to move quickly. Lo and behold, we got pregnant in our first cycle with them, um, with Clomid and with Ovidril. Okay. Um, well, let's push pause right there because there's a little okay. bit to dissect. Okay. So first of all, like clearly I know what Clomid is and I know what a uterine septum is, but for anyone who's listening right now that maybe having some fertility and some long cycles, could you just kind of explain your uterine septum and how you discovered that you had that? My uterine septum, we actually discovered it the year that we got married um, in 2013 because I had asked to be put on an IUD. And okay. since I had never had a vaginal birth um, or since I had never been pregnant, they wanted to do um, an intravaginal ultrasound to make sure that structurally everything was okay with it. Lo and behold, everything was not okay with it. So um, my understanding of the septum is that it's essentially just a, it's a very common malformation in the uterus, but um, I just had extra flesh that essentially hung from the top of my uterus down into my uterus. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have a blockage because of it. It just wasn't going to allow enough space for a baby um, or the healthy growth of a baby and potentially could cause loss because um, it likes to hog blood flow. Got it. Now that septum can also like that would be like, I would say like grade one, right? It can also be other different kinds of abnormalities, like a bicornuate uterus where like the mm -hmm. septum kind of pulls into a heart shape. The tissue is hardened more like scar tissue. And it almost looks like two lobes essentially to a uterus. So there's lots of different things. You know, everyone thinks of a uterus as this like perfect little circle and that's like not the shape of it at all. <laughs> and when you're not pregnant, so when they're doing that transvaginal ultrasound, your uterus is actually only like the shape and size of the palm of your hand. So it's so little. So even if you see an IUD and you see that thing is very small, well, your uterus is also very small when it's not, you know, blown up and stretched and carrying a baby in there. Um, so I wanted to stop and explain that for the audience. And then when you have these long cycles and of what we would really call irregular ovulation. So like instead of like, you know, I ovulate every 14 days and I have a period every 28 days, just kind of like missed ovulations also. So we can shed the lining of our uterus, which surprises a ton of people without actually ovulating. So when we see these long cycles, sometimes 40, 45 days, there may not even have been an actual ovulation. It just may be the shedding of the lining of the uterus. Everybody right now, you're like, what? That's crazy. Yes, you can have a period without ovulating. It is crazy, right? So anyway, Clomid is a fertility medication that helps you ovulate. But Morgan, it also helps you hyper ovulate. <laughs> yeah. um, and there are some side effects with mood and stuff. How did you feel physically and emotionally on Clomid? 
I felt like a monster, um, so which continued <laughs> for a while. Um, it was it's a five day cycle. Um, I think it comes in like the dosages are 50, 100, 150, right? Like you, if you have to go up to the next dose, you're doubling it. So at one point we did have to double my dose. And I remember coming home from the pharmacy and being like, this is going to be terrible. Like I need to just go hide in the woods while I'm on because <laughs> I was, I was mad. It made my hair greasy. It just kind of made my body feel funky. I just did not, I was a little rage monster. I was not pleasant to be around. I was yep. like, great. I'm going to be this disgusting, angry human and then go make a baby. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> and then get pregnant. Um, <laughs> did they properly walk you through that? That was a potential that that's how you were going to feel like a monster. <laughs> No. So my OB who I've had forever and I love her and I trust her blindly, but like looking back, I'm like, girl, a little more info. <laughs> um, she prescribed it. She said, look, you're probably going to have some side effects, might make you a little moody, you know, whatever, but it's five days. You'll get through it. Great. I was ill prepared <laughs> for how yeah. moody I would be. <laughs> and I've had girlfriends that have had to take it before and, you know, kind of breeze through it and like no big deal. So if you're listening, you might not be yeah. the monster that I was. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you could be the 1%, right? But yeah, like, you could be it. Yeah. But I mean, most people experience a little bit of like hormonal rage, I would say mm -hmm. <laughs> on their Clomid. Okay. So fun. now we uh, have gone through three rounds of Clomid. You've been referred to a fertility specialist and then let's pick back up there. She basically told us, I'll let you do one round on your own, um, and then we're going to move to IUI. Okay, um, and one round on your own means, like, spontaneously banging Matthew, right? Like, yeah. Without... <laughs> yeah like, we're going to give you some drugs, but, like, you're going to go home and do it yourself. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Very DIY. Yes. Um, so, because we had already essentially spent three rounds of medication, um, and my understanding was they would only allow me to be on it for so many rounds before you start to run into other complications. And um, so she said one round on your own, then we'll move to IUI. So we did the one round, we did the trigger shot in that round um, and got pregnant. Okay. So what day of your, like, when did you do the trigger shot? It ended up being like the 15th day of my cycle. So okay. My body is great at making eggs or like getting an egg ready, but then my ovary is like, I'm just going to keep it. You don't yes. need it. And doesn't release so, it. It doesn't release it. She, we just reabsorb it. So we, I got selfish ovaries over here. So the, the Clomid, my understanding is that it kind of helped get those eggs ready. Yeah. Um, and then the trigger shot actually got my ovary to release the egg. Perfect. So I believe that was on like the 15th day. Um, and I'm assuming you had to have a transvaginal ultrasound. To, yes. To look lots at the follicles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. To check all the follicles and everything to know when to do that trigger shot. Yes. So I was, I was at the fertility office, I think like twice a week there for a while and like blood work all the time and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you listening that just, you know, had P and V sex and got pregnant, like, here you go. This is like one small, this is a small example, Morgan, too, of like how two years of your life can just go by, you know, mm -hmm. with surgeries and medications and ultrasounds and all this kind of thing. So you had declined the second surgery. I did. My gut feeling on it was just, we don't need that. And um, throughout this process, I think that's probably been one of the biggest things I've learned is just trust your gut. You're going to 
you know, shop your doctor. If you need to shop your doctor, trust your gut, say no to things. That's all very viable. Um, and so I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. And she said, okay, great. We'll change our plan. And this is what we'll do. Um, and I had to continue to say no to it after we had our law. Yeah. So you did become pregnant spontaneously. Okay. I did. So I became pregnant spontaneously. We found out it was great. And I kind of knew something was wrong. I remember calling my mom um, on the way to our first ultrasound because, you know, one of the very expensive benefits of being a fertility specialist is that you get very early ultrasound. And I called my mom on the way to the office. I was bawling. I said, I just, I'm so scared. They're going to tell me something is wrong. I know something's wrong. Um, And so sure enough, they, you know, start to do the sonogram and the nurse is um, telling me, she's like, well, we should see more at this point. Like, there should be more. And your doctor brought you in too early. And are you sure that's when you ovulated and starting to ask those questions. And so she kind of let us go with, with a little bit of hope. She's like, your doctor's going to call you, but I think we just have you in here too early. And, you know, we, I I think we've just got the timing wrong. So I leave and I'm like, we don't have the timing wrong. Something's wrong. Um, And so sure enough, they called um, and I was diagnosed with a blighted ovum. So you know, that starts to form, things start to happen, but just the baby either stops growing or doesn't grow at all. Um, and it's a genetic abnormality. Basically my body recognized something's up with this. We're, we're going to stop doing what we're doing. Yeah. Nonetheless so from, painful though. Yeah. Nonetheless right. painful. I will say that. So, um, we, the really unfortunate part of it too, is that they bring you in for so many additional sonograms to, to just be extra sure. Right. So it's, come back in a week. Okay. Now come back in three days. Now come back in two days. So you're just kind of stuck in this limbo for a week and a half, two weeks of, you know, what's going to happen now. And, and there's still something inside of you, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, what's going on? Like, is a baby growing or not growing? Mm -hmm. You know, like it was painful. It was a Monday that we got diagnosed or that the initial sonogram happened and we were diagnosed with the blighted ovum. And they said, okay, come back in a week. So come back next Monday. And I called my nurse over there who is an angel and I'm bawling. And I'm like, I can't wait a week. Can I come in on Friday? And she's trying everything she can to get me in on Friday. And they're like, you, you really need to give it the week. You need to give your body the week to see what happens here. And that waiting period was so absolutely brutal. And then it just felt like waves of just getting my butt kicked every time it was like, okay, well, we still don't see anything to see you in three days. We still don't see anything to see you on Friday. And I think that contributed to just pure unadulterated rage from that point on. And so finally they sign off and say like, okay, it's, it's not happening. It's a blighted ovum. So we can start the process of basically inducing the miscarriage because my body wasn't going to let it go. Um, And so I had to go home and had to take Cytotec and had to pass um, that pregnancy on my own at home. So Cytotec, you guys, is a prostaglandin, which is a hormone that like induces, it's actually a GI medicine, but it causes uterine contractions. And so it's used often. This is, this is a very important point. Cytotec is used often for inducing a miscarriage. Well, later Cytotec is used to induce labor in a full-term pregnancy. Those things can be very triggering. If you have used Cytotec to have a miscarriage and then someone is offering you or suggesting Cytotec for you to have your 
live full-term birth, like those things should be contra contraindicated as far as I'm concerned. But just wanted to put that out there that like side attack, if you use it for a miscarriage, like work through that with your provider if you have to have an induction. So how you were just maybe four weeks along? I think I had stopped measuring at five weeks or at six I, weeks. Okay. So at this point, I'm really technically eight weeks by the okay. time they finally cleared everything and said, you know, we're going to, we're going to move on from this. So, but the, the growth had all stopped at six weeks. Okay. Um, Here's so another they, problem though, Morgan, they send you home with side attack. Mm -hmm. They usually don't give you any pain medicine. And they don't really adequately prepare you for what's about to happen. Do you no. want to and talk was, about that at all? I I do because it's incredibly infuriating. And I have like taken it on as my responsibility to help anybody else I know get through it that yeah. unfortunately goes through it. Because I remember begging them for information and saying like, okay, I'm reading online that this is going to be painful. And like, I'm essentially going to go through some labor and you know, is there anything you can give to me? And they're like, oh, you can take Tylenol and Motrin. You're just going to feel some cramp. And I was Says like, the I person who's never had a fucking miscarriage before. Exactly. And I'm just like, now being on the flip side of it, it's like, you just want to shake people and be like, you are supposed to help me. Yeah. <laughs> you are supposed to take care of me. And so um, I remember begging him and saying like, I just need a loose framework. Like I understand that what you tell me might not be what happens to me or that it might be no help, but I just need a loose framework. And so my cousin had connected me to a woman that she worked with that had had um, to go through a miscarriage the exact same way that I was. And I've never met her. I probably will never meet her, but she was just this non-consequential guardian angel that I could just fire off a text and be like, what the hell is happening to me? Yes. Um, awesome. And she gave me more information going into it was just very cut and dry of like, you're going to, you're going to take the cytotech vaginally. You need to, you know, protect your sofa or protect your bed, wherever you're going to be comfortable. You need to basically like make this nest and be prepared with this. You're going to be sick. You're going to be nauseous. You need to ask your doctor for something for the nausea. You know, and my doctors were like, no, you can take Tylenol and Motrin. It's just period cramps. And, oh, no, you don't need Zofran. You're not going to be nauseous. It's fine. So they were just kind of very offhanded with it. And I remember my fertility specialist was kind of no help. So then I called my OB's office and they kind of were no help too. And I thought, you're the people that are supposed to help me. You're the people that are supposed to take care of me. Why am I getting no help here? So it felt very isolating in a million ways. My husband is a saint and just is incredible. So he came home when we knew what time everything was going to start and brought all the snacks and we queued up, you know, Yellowstone to rewatch it. And love that it. show, by the yeah. way. Yes. So oh my God. Like, I'm, in. I'm in love with Rip. Side note, people. <laughs> I know we're talking about miscarriage and this is like probably an inappropriate interruption. But since you said Yellowstone, which means we're both fangirls right here, my in laws have a ranch in Montana where they film Yellowstone about like 15, 20 minutes away from their house. And my sister-in-law is like, I don't know if she's like been on the show or they come to the ranch or whatever. Um, but on TikTok, I'm just going to give a shout out to them. Mm -hmm. On TikTok, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law's uh, ranch is at Scalcaho Stables. And there's some videos on there where some of the cast of Yellowstone has come 
over to the ranch. So you'll have to go check that out. All right, Morgan. Sorry. Back to our, I'm like to make light of this, but not, (laughs) um, but to go back to like, essentially you're writing us a guide right now on, on miscarrying at home. And so this is so important, like what you're saying about your providers not giving you the support, but like, thank goodness you had this, this woman that was in your life. And then Matthew. Okay. So you've got Yellowstone on, you've got your snacks, like Chuck's pad on the Mm -hmm. couch, you know, but still nothing can prepare you for what's about to happen. Nothing can prepare you. And we've, since then, I've realized like I even hid a lot of it from Matt because I was like, this is traumatic and terrible and awful. And like, how much of this can I get through on my own without having to expose you to some of this stuff? Right. So, you know, you just you start with Cytotech and you just sit there and you wait for the awful inevitable to start. And um, thankfully, I only had to do two rounds of it. The first round of it made me very ill. Um, I remember being incredibly nauseous and thinking like, fuck you. These are not period cramps. <laughs> um, did you have diarrhea? I did not. Okay. Um, but I just was so horribly nauseous, but couldn't vomit. Okay. Um, and it was just like, this is, they should just knock you out and do this. Honestly, is just kind of how I felt about it. And there was nothing redeeming to me in that experience. A lot of women that I've talked to have been like, you know, passing that pregnancy is kind of, this cathartic into this chapter and like the start of like the grieving chapter. And it was not that for me. It just created more and more rage in me. So it took about three days. We went, how many doses? I took two full doses of it. Um, and at that point they kept asking me like, well, have you passed the stack? And I'm like, I don't know. You people told me nothing. I've never done this before. Um, so they brought me in for another sonogram to make sure I passed the stack. And they were like, good job. You did. And I was like, they said you. good job. Yeah. It was very insensitive. It's like, okay, good job. Mama. Like <sighs> you got it passed. Like we can start the next round. And it was like, is this your first time? Like it was so just inappropriate to tell you the truth. Like inappropriate because dip, you know, I understand that everyone listening to this podcast and everyone has different beliefs and faith journeys and all of the things. But like, it is possible, Morgan, that you or the person sitting in front of them, that was a baby to Mm -hmm. them, to you. And like, just saying good job. How freaking insensitive. I'm it so like, sorry. It, I almost felt like to them, because we never heard a heartbeat, that it was just like, oh, okay, like, let's go on to the next thing. Right. And it, it, it was like my grief was never acknowledged and like the heartache was never acknowledged. And so that was really, I think, what kicked off like my desire to just like go beat somebody <laughs> to tell you the truth. Yeah. So it, it took a lot to work through it. And I think, I think just the general mishandling of, women or people in grief, emotions going through that process probably did not help. Yeah. I mean, are there any rage rooms where you live? Like, do you know <laughs> what that is? Needed a couple. Yeah, yeah. I probably needed a couple. I remember um, being on my way home from one of my doctor's appointments and some lady like honked at me and I was like, I will like, I was like, that's it. Like this, it. I'm going to end up <laughs> on the news. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's a it's an experience that I don't wish on anybody, but if it if it does fall in somebody's court, I think it's important to shop your care at that point. Yeah. If you don't feel like you're being cared for the way that you want to be cared for, fire them and go on. Yeah, and fertility clinics unfortunately are like notoriously famous for just like 
treating people that are trying to have a baby like herded cows. Just yeah, it's like know. I'm in the business of getting you pregnant for real. So let's go on. Right? Yeah. So. I mean, it just is really hard. Okay. So you didn't have to have a DNC or a DNE as a follow up was essentially what she was trying to say rather than Mm -hmm. good job. And that you could try to get pregnant again on the next cycle or two. Yeah. So because we had essentially spent the round that we were allowed to go home and try on our own, they said, call us back when you get a period um, and we'll start monitoring you again and get your IUI scheduled. Um, so we said, okay, so, you know, that it takes some, for some people, for me, it took months for my cycle to come back. Um, and it did. And I called him and I said, I don't think I'm ready to do all of this yet, but can we monitor my cycle? No drugs, no nothing, but can we just, can we do the blood work? Can we do the ultrasounds? Can we just monitor my cycle? And they said, okay. And so lo and behold, that's the cycle that we got pregnant with baby Fallon. And so it's part of me thinks that maybe that miscarriage kind of cued my body up for, oh, okay. Like now I know what to do with this. Right. Yeah. And there is some data behind that, right? Like there is, um, we seem to have hyperfertility, hyperovulation and hyperfertility post uh, miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have like three clients right now on the books that called and hired me had a loss and probably called me within six or eight weeks after their loss and hired me again. And one of them, I can't say her name. I wish I could, but one of them um, called back and said, Oh my gosh, Heidi, I just went to the confirmation ultrasound and it's twins. And I was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So So, I mean, you know, that's what I mean by the hyper ovulation and the hyper fertility. We see that kind of quite often. So, so you get pregnant with Fallon. Okay. And we know that Fallon is here. So that's why I'm going to start using her name. Was there anything like, I mean, everything about a pregnancy is miraculous and significant, but is there anything about your pregnancy that's more teachable that you want to share with the audience? I loved being pregnant and it was fairly uneventful to tell you the truth. I worked out. I continued to work. I would go walk every day. I felt great being pregnant. My morning sickness was very minimal where things started to get interesting was towards the end of my pregnancy when suddenly this very easy, very breezy pregnancy who I was not a rage monster the whole time. um, uh, All of a sudden I have gestational hypertension, like out of nowhere, it felt like. Oh my goodness. Now this, you guys, gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, these are issues with the placenta. Okay. This is not typically indicative of like, I mean, clearly if you had hypertension before you got pregnant, Morgan, but like you didn't. So when we see like a perfectly healthy young 30 year old who is like, you know, working out in her pregnancy and eating healthy and all of these things, like throw gestational hypertension, there's a lot of alerts that kind of go up, like spidey senses of like, hey, where's this coming from? What's that placenta doing? Were you symptomatic or how were you diagnosed? My husband had to go out of town for work. And um, at that point, I was 33-ish, 34-ish weeks pregnant. And um, he was nervous to go. And I'm like, it's fine. It's super early. 
I'm going to go late. My mom was late with both pregnancies. We're fine. Everything's fine. So he leaves town for the week. Um, that Wednesday, I had a, just a regular appointment. I go in. Everything's fine. Um, I do not have white coat syndrome at all. Um, and I'm sitting there and, you know, the nurse like takes my blood pressure and takes it again and then takes it again. She's like, okay, we're, um, I'm going to have you just relax for a little bit. I'm going to come back in. Okay. So my doctor comes in and talks to me and she says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do your blood pressure one more time. Cause what, you have any questions? No. Like, how do you feel? Great. You know, easy appointment. Yeah. So she takes my blood pressure again and she stands up and she hands me my purse off the chair and she says, okay, so you're going to go to labor and delivery and they're going to check you out for a couple of hours. Um, I'm going to call them and let them know you're on the way. And I'm like, did, did they tell you what you, what blood pressures are you were throwing? I was in, um, at that point I was like 149 over something. I don't remember the bottom number at that point. Okay. It's probably and over like, 90. Okay. Probably over 90. In yeah. the nineties. In the nineties. Yeah. So I'm like, huh? She's like, yep. Um, so she's like, it's probably nothing. Don't worry about it. They're going to go check you out. So I remember calling my husband who is very busy and I'm like, <laughs> everything's fine. And out of town. He's in Florida. I'm <laughs> <laughs> from Texas. That's kind okay. of far away. <laughs> yeah. So in um, the man that he works for is incredible. And um, his wife had just had a baby like the year prior. So he's like, if you got to go, we'll figure it out. So it's fine. So anyway, we you know, get to labor and delivery. My parents show up, like everybody's there. And I'm like, it's fine. Like I have my shoes on still. Everything's fine. So they check me out for an hour. It never spiked again. So they send me home. Okay. That following, that was Wednesday. They, my doctor calls me, says, take it easy. You know, like you still work, like you still do stuff, but like just no more working out, take it easy, stay close to home. So that following Saturday, I went to a baby shower um, and felt great. I took it very easy. You know, I sat in the chair and, you know, drank my punch. And my friend who I had gone with drops me off at home and I walked into my bedroom to change my clothes. And this like wall hit me all of a sudden where I'm like, I don't feel right. Something's weird. So I take my blood pressure. It's 145 over something in the 90s. I'm like, oh no. So I call the on-call doctor and she says, watch it for an hour, um, but you're probably going to need to come in. Did the wall that hit you, was it just like a wave and then it went away or was it no, a wave it and hit, then it stayed? It stayed. Okay. So it hit me like a wall and then it just stayed where I just kind of felt like my body wasn't my own and I had a little bit of a headache and it just everything just felt a little more difficult. Um, and I started to get a little bit puffy, you know, not severe, nothing like that. So the doc says, watch it for an hour, call me back in an hour. I'm probably going to have you come in. So I call my girlfriend that had just dropped me off at home and I'm bawling because nothing's ready. I don't have a bag packed. I've got mountains of laundry to get done. And she's like, I'm on my way. (laughs) So here comes Andy doing all my laundry, packing me a bag for the night, you know, doing the whole thing. My mom comes, but it had slowly made its way back down into normal. I'm like, okay. So my mom says, I'm going to stay the night with you. Like, well, you know, we'll just make sure you're okay since math out of town. Okay. Cause so now get, you're 35 weeks. I'm 30. I'm like end of 34 at this point. Okay. So almost so, 35. Yeah. So I get in bed and I feel great. I feel fine. I'm like, this is stupid. I get in bed and I'm laying there for about a half an hour. And that here comes that wall again. And so I walk out to the living room and I'm in tears. And I tell my mom, like, we have to go. Like, this is, this is what's happening. They're going to want to check me out. So they admitted me for 24 hours. Never spikes again at the hospital, of course. Oh, my goodness. But, Did they administer medicine? No, they literally just watched me for okay. 24 hours. 
And they had me collect my urine to test for proteins and everything to make sure that I didn't have preeclampsia. Um, But everything was just coming back, sunshine and rainbows. So it was fine. But because I had had the two recorded spikes, now all of a sudden I have gestational hypertension. Yeah. And so I go to my follow-up with my doctor as soon as my husband's back in town. And she says, okay, so we're going to induce you at 37 weeks. And I'm like, no, like, I feel fine. Everything's fine. Like, this is stupid. She's like, well, you need to be on modified bed rest. And I'm trying to like weasel out of it. And she, she finally looks at me and she says, this doesn't get better. Like this condition that you have is only going to either stay the same or get worse. So I need you to trust me and 37 weeks, like baby's good to go. There's no need to keep you pregnant longer than that and put you at risk. I need you to trust me on this one. Like we're going to, this is what we need to do. Morgan agreed. Just so you know, like if I was your doula, I would be like, okay, well, what about 36 weeks? You know what I mean? (laughs) Exactly. So there had been this like discrepancy with my due date because I knew when I ovulated that they were going based on my period. So they had me a week further along than I knew that I was and nobody seemed to listen. (laughs) Like you guys, she's not 37 weeks. She's 36 weeks. They're like, we're checking her out. She's good to go. We're going to do this. Okay. So I remember going home on bed rest and be like, this is so stupid. I feel great. I feel fine. Like, are you sure I can't work out? Are you sure I can't go for a walk? I can like hear the denial in your voice, Morgan, right yeah. now, because then you're like, and then this wall hit me where I yeah, felt then, terrible. And then you're yeah, like, like, let's just, once in a while, let's pretend that didn't happen. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> so I'm sitting at home like the first five days. And I'm like, this is dumb. And then all of a sudden, like, as that time at home progressed, I just started to realize like, oh, I am in trouble. Like this is happening to me. So my blood pressure is just getting high and staying high, but I never hit the threshold of preeclampsia. I just stayed in that gestational Gestational hypertension. hypertension. Okay. So you guys, what Morgan is talking about with gestational hypertension is like spikes in blood pressure. And we know that that is coming from the placenta. Okay. But then there is preeclampsia. Okay. And preeclampsia, like a marker of preeclampsia is also hypertension or high blood pressure. Right. But there's also protein in the urine, which indicates like there could be impairment with the kidneys. There are other signs of kidney problems, including um, like elevated liver enzymes to show that there could be an impaired liver. There's low blood platelet counts. Um, You can get fluid in the lungs. Um, headaches that are like do not go away with medication and then like visual disturbances too. So there's like a lot more um, symptoms that go along with preeclampsia than just gestational hypertension. So it's really important, like Morgan, when they sent you over, they were doing the urinalysis and the blood work and the monitoring of the baby, right? And looking at like ultrasounds and not non-stress tests to determine like, okay, is this gestational hypertension? Is this preeclampsia, you know? And so it's really important to make that determination. So here you are with good old gestational hypertension, (laughs) but you're starting to feel worse and worse. I'm starting to feel worse and worse. And like, I still felt good enough that I was irritated that I couldn't do things but bad enough that I knew, okay, I need to behave myself. Like I, I really can't push my limits here. So I had weaseled enough with my OB that she said, fine, we'll go end of 37 weeks to make you feel better. And 
I'm like, okay, so I'm scheduled to go in for an induction on a Thursday, um, which would have been the 7th. And of April, a, 7th of April. April. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm like, I'm remembering April. back now. Yeah. Um, so because at the beginning of this episode, I told everyone that you were in Birth Story Academy. First of all, how in the world did you find my class? Had you <laughs> and had you taken it? Had you started it? Because there is an induction module. I was looking for um, Birth Story Podcast and mm-hmm. I came across your Birth Story Podcast and I loved it. I mean, I devoured it, like every episode that I possibly could get my hands on um, because it felt so positive. And there was something, I'm going to laugh at myself. There was something about your voice and like your presence in your podcast that brought me a lot of like calmness and a lot of peace. And you're going to make so, me cry. More. Well, so then as soon as you started announcing your birth story um, Academy coming out, I, I signed up right away before it was even out. Um, and I'm like, this is going to be great. This is amazing. And so I had, I had started the birth story Academy um, and I was most of the way through it. In fact, I had gotten through the induction module. Then they told me I was going to be induced. And it was like, somebody just wiped my brain. <laughs> Clean. Don't remember yeah, anything. It's gone. I don't <laughs> like, I'm having a baby. So I, that's the first, I think that was one of the times that I had reached out to you of like, what the hell is going to happen to me? Um, and you're like, go rewatch the module. Like, it's fine. It's all in there. And it was, it was. So we went and rewatched the module and it was incredibly helpful. And I remember being in the hospital for the induction and thinking like, Heidi said this would happen. Heidi said this would happen. Heidi said this would happen. And it was, it was just too, it was so informative, but not over informative in a scary way. It was, it helps me be a lot more comfortable in that setting than I think I would have been. Um, And I think it helped me kind of have the ability to go with the flow a little bit more because I knew like, if not this, then this, right? Because of, because of that induction module. So it was very helpful. Okay. Awesome. All right. So we were on the part of your story where it was scheduled for Friday. Yeah, it was scheduled for Thursday. Sorry, scheduled for Thursday. Thursday night. Yeah. So I had an appointment Wednesday, which was April 6th. Um, and so, you know, Matt loads me up in the truck and here we go. And I went in to do my urine sample. And when I pulled my pants down, it looked like I had fishnets on. Like all of my veins had become very superficial in my legs. And I remember standing in the bathroom and looking at him and going like, I'm going to go have a baby tonight. This is, they're not going to let me go any longer. Uh-huh. So we, you know, go in and get set up for the cervical check and everything. And I'm showing my husband what's going on. He was like, we're, we're going tonight. And, um, my doctor comes in and I say, Hey, this new thing's going on. And I show it to her. We, nothing happens. She's like, put your pants on, go home, get your bags, get your stuff settled. You're going to go ahead and go tonight. Okay. No need to push this another 24 hours. Let's be done. Yep. So the varicosities, were they on your like vulva and your legs? As far as I could see them, they were um, like very high up on my thigh, but I don't think they had made it all the way. Yet. Probably hard to look at your vagina with over yeah, a I mean, belly. At that point, yes. Yeah. So no, yes. I, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they were definitely down the full side of one of my legs and they were starting on my other leg. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it was hilarious. She was like, yep, put your pants on. Let's, uh, let's yeah. get out of here and go. As in you guys listening, not normal. For, for a full-term healthy pregnancy, right? So um, were you freaking out or were you like, I'm good here, I'm ready to have a baby? I was okay till we got in the elevator. 
And then we got down to the ground floor and I had spent the day with my friend, Andy, because my husband's still working. So I spent the day with my friend, Andy. We had plans, you know, they say make plans, look, God laugh. So I was supposed (laughs) to go in Thursday night at like 9 p.m. So I had made dinner reservations at our favorite restaurant. We were going to, you know, have our bags ready to go and go have dinner at our favorite restaurant and then go to the hospital. I had all these plans. And I walk out of the building and I am ugly crying and just losing my shit. And my Matt looks at me, he's like, what's the matter? He's excited, right? Because he's like, yeah. baby's coming. Like, this is great. And I just, I just thought we had one more night. Like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, okay, well, we don't. Like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, scream crying <laughs> that I thought we had one more night. You sound and, like someone who's go- about to go into spontaneous labor. <laughs> it could have happened, probably. <laughs> So we, you know, go home, get dinner, get our bags, make our way to the hospital. Um, and but, but how were you feeling aside from like that burst of emotion? Like, were you still feeling the sensations of hypertension? Yeah, I was still getting like waves of the hypertension. They were coming okay. a little bit faster. Um, but overall, I felt pretty good to tell you the truth. Okay. I was a little bit anxious because at that point I was from what we knew because we had skip the cervical check at that appointment. But from what we knew, I was at a straight up zero. So I'm thinking like, we're going to go try to induce this baby who is not ready to come. And is this going to go okay? And, you know, if there's no signs of her coming, like, is it smart to induce her? Like, am I doing the best thing for her? Is she really ready? You know, all of those emotions are happening, right? And the answer, Morgan, is yes, 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 yes. Okay. Like the only time I ever get on an anti-induction like platform, because everybody in here knows that listens, I had two inductions and I elected my second one, you know, like it's not like I shouldn't say I'm pro-induction. I am, I'm pro-choice in that it was my choice to have an induction. And I, I appreciate that. What I don't like is when they're like, um, you're 41 weeks and totally healthy. So let's induce. And I and thought like, that what? was the fight I was going to have, right? <laughs> right? My whole pregnancy, I'm like, I'm going to be pregnant forever. Like, it's fine. It's a good thing I'd like being pregnant because I'm going to be here forever. Yes. And Headache, so just- varicosities, swelling, waves of just big hypertension. Like, yes, your baby and you are safer if the baby is on the outside than on the inside. Like, 100%. A- appropriate think- induction. <laughs> induction yeah if I could go back and like shake 37 week Morgan and be like girl it's fine so we go to the hospital I'm still kind of like this is unnecessary this is I'm fine they should let me go to 39 weeks like I I don't know if I was just in full-blown denial or if I really genuinely still felt pretty good and I was like "Ah, it's fine like whatever but nonetheless I was excited that she was coming that you know it was going to be a controlled environment that if something was wrong, which obviously there was, and um, if something was wrong, I was going to be in a good place for it to be handled um, and dealt with. So we go in, we start Cytotech, which to loop back, it did feel like the closing of a chapter for me, that my first round of Cytotech was such a traumatic chapter of everything. And now my, this round of Cytotech was going to lead me to my rainbow baby and that that part of my life was going to be kind of closed and over. So that was 
redeeming for me a little bit. To tell okay, cool. I like that perspective on it. Yeah. Um, okay. So in Birth Story Academy and in the induction module, you know, the first thing we talk about is that first cervical exam and your bishop score. So the bishop score indicating whether cervical ripening is necessary with agents like Cytotec or Cervidil or maybe even a balloon catheter. So do you remember what your cervical exam was? My, um, going in, they said I was a one and I remember throughout my whole pregnancy being like, why is everybody so up in arms about cervical checks? Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. It's awful. And I hated it. And I'll say no to him next time. (laughs) Okay. So you guys, I want you to hear that Morgan just said one. Okay. And she's a student of Birth Story Academy, but Morgan, I'm going to go take you back months and months and months and months. What we ask for is the acronym SPED, station, Mm -hmm. position, Position of the uh, cervix and position of the baby. Effacement is the E and D for dilation. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably hard to remember from five months ago what station your baby was at or how effaced it's, your cervix was. Like but a, I think a, a three was the highest, right? Negative. Well, negative five, really, but negative three is pretty high. Okay. <laughs> it's like whatever the highest station possible was, I think, was where she still was. Probably was, negative three. They say floating. Yeah. yeah. She was floating. She was not. And I mean, like, I never got the waddle, like that kid never dropped. So I never, she was still very, very high. I was at a one and I was 0% effaced. Um, None of, none of the good things were happening until, until the drugs came along. (laughs) And, and your cervical exam was likely quite painful because the position of your cervix was probably very posterior, like way in the back. Like I always say they got to go up or in and then up like around, you know, to get to the find the cervix. Are you going to grab my spine? Yes. is kind of how it felt. And I remember thinking like, this is why people hate this so much. Like now I get it. And I'm so stupid. (laughs) Like I will say no next time. I know. Well, there's a time and a place for everything, you know, and getting a cervical exam at the start of an induction to figure out what the plan of action is. Like that isn't, while it's difficult and it doesn't feel good, that is an appropriate vaginal exam. So your bishop score was around uh, zero to one, meaning like not very ripe. So they used Cytotac as a ripening agent. And by ripening everyone, I mean thinning the cervix. So the average cervical length is four centimeters. So using a medication like Cytotac can help almost like think of it like it's melting, right? It's thinning and it's softening. And then when it's really, really paper thin and soft, it can start to open some more. So that's what the purpose of Cytotac was, to cause some control contractions and to sort of melt the cervix. Did it work? It did. So my contractions kicked off about 3 a.m. They woke me up and I I was still very comfortable, but just like, oh, okay, this is really happening. And I woke Matt up and he's like, what do we do? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) We're we're doing it. We're here. Um, So my contractions kicked off about 3 a.m. They came in um, at about seven o'clock that morning and checked me again. I think at that point I was a four on the outside and a one on the inside. So I wasn't consistently dilating is my understanding. And you obviously know more about that than I do. Yeah. So again, if we go back to that four centimeter thick cervix, it doesn't, our cervix doesn't thin and it doesn't open like perfectly evenly. Right. I mean, really kind of think about like Play-Doh or something that you can like mold and push and move around. Right. So you can literally be like, 
eight centimeters dilated on one side and six centimeters dilated on the, the other side. And then while your cervix is still thinning, it can start to dilate on the outside and be still very thick on the inside or vice versa. Thin on the inside if the head is really low, putting pressure on the top part of the cervix and then really thick and still closed on the outside. So that's um, it's interesting when they put their fingertip in and they move around your cervix, how they can feel the different um, thicknesses and dilations. So it's not uncommon in the middle of an induction to get an exam that says, well, you're this on the outside and this on the inside. Just means more cervical ripening is needed and or the presence of strong contractions. So what did they choose as step two? They chose to do, um, or they offered me, I should say, a Cook's catheter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not want to do it because I thought this is going to be painful. And here we are again. If they're like, it's just going to be cramping. It's okay. Okay. Like have that epidural on deck because <laughs> I think I know what's going to come next. So we did the Cook's catheter and I lasted about 15 minutes. Okay. Like, Let's do this. Yes. Um, okay. Well, let so- me inter- interject right there. Okay. If you are someone who wants to have an unmedicated birth, right, who's like really, really committed to unmedicated birth and is being induced, the first hour of the Cook's catheter can cause a lot of cramping, a lot of contractions, and it's kind of like an abrupt thing. But then your body will start to release those natural opioids. It will start to calm you down and you'll start to kind of get like almost like you're just kind of used to the pain. Imagine spraining your ankle, right? The first 15, 20 minutes, an hour, you're like, ugh. And then your body starts receiving those natural opioids, right? And a a week later with your sprained ankle, it still hurts, but it's like less, right? So this is probably a terrible analogy, but that's the first thing that came to my mind today. So if you want an unmedicated birth, like stick it out for an hour, okay? I'm kind of like, if you're planning an epidural, like, I usually tell my clients, why don't we just go ahead and get the epidural and then put the cooks in? Or I say, like you said, put that epidural on deck, on standby. Give me my fluids just in case. See how you tolerate it, right? Like somebody may not be very phased by it. But if you're 15 minutes in and you're like, ugh, I do not want to wait 45 more minutes. Sure, go ahead. And that's a great time to utilize your planned epidural. Right. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. were about 15 minutes in and you were like, hello. Yeah. I was nurse. like, let's tap. We're done. And I had, I had always planned on getting an epidural, but I thought in my mind, I thought if the further along I can get naturally, the better off I will be. And it just, it did not go that way. And I went into birth with a very open mind. And that was one of the things I liked about Birth Story Academy was it gave me a framework of all of the possibilities. So I felt prepared regardless of, or as prepared as I could be regardless of what that outcome was going to be. So I had gone into the induction with like, we'll see, we'll see how far I can get. No big deal. If I can't get further than that, I'm not putting any pressure on myself. That's undue. So here comes the anesthesiologist. And I remember telling him like, you're probably a really popular guy around here. (laughs) Super popular. And some of them are like really hot too, you know, and we're like, (laughs) watch out, Matthew, move over. (laughs) Not this one. Not this one. (laughs) Just really skilled at placing an epidural. Very skilled. Like 10 out of 10 would get an epidural from him again. Um, And so again, Matt is just like there and he's in it and he had taken Birth Story Academy with me. So he knew like 
here's where I'm going to be. And I'm going to be in this. And um, it was just incredible. And he was keeping all of our family updated and all of our friends updated. And then like, just, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that was like, can you shut the TV off and come over here? Like, that was not it. He was in my space. And when they did the cook's catheter, I remember him just like holding my hands and like, I could see the pain in his face watching me be in pain. So I felt very much like I had a very solid teammate through all of this. So they do the epidural and it lowered my blood pressure back to normal, which then causes me to pass out. To be symptomatic. And it's not that it was like your blood pressure is normal. It's the rapid drop. The rapid change in it. Yeah. So myself and the baby both had issues with it. So you know, here they come back in the room and put me on my side and here's oxygen and here's this and pump me full of fluids again. Um, but Fallon and I both recovered very quickly. Um, and at that point we hadn't even started Pitocin. So they said, okay, we're just going to sit for a little while and watch you and kind of see what happens. So Fallon's heart rate came back up. She was doing great. I was doing great. So they came back in and said, let's go ahead and start Pitocin slowly. And so that's, what we did and we kind of rode that out for a little while and the cook catheter was still in the cook catheter was still in okay um it it was in from i think i got it at like nine and um, and i think it came out at like 4 p.m perfect so, so cook's catheter can last up to 12 hours okay before they remove it for mm-hmm. many reasons, including infection or the potential of like accidentally breaking your water, those types of things. It is removed if your water were to break and it will sometimes come out on its own with a gentle tug when you go to the bathroom if you are four to six centimeters dilated inside and out. So a Cook's catheter has a balloon that sits on top of the cervix and then a balloon that puts pressure on the bottom of the cervix. Going back to that um, cervical changes not happening evenly. It's a hope that you're putting pressure on the cervix evenly to help it thin in a face and open more evenly. So that way, when you're about four to six, you could like pull it out. Or like I said, if your water breaks, they would take it out. Um, or after 12 hours, they would take it out. But it's great to use a Cook catheter in combination with Pitocin in an induction, you're building momentum. So instead of just doing one thing, and again, I'm talking about Morgan, who was a planned epidural, right? Maybe take it a little bit slower if you're planned unmedicated. But if you're planned medicated and everyone's doing well, like you and Fallon had recovered from that initial blood pressure drop, start your Pitocin and build on that momentum. Yes. Yeah. So that's what we did. So they came in, um, the doctor came in and removed the Cook's catheter and broke my water at the same time. Mm-hmm. And she herself was pregnant. And my husband says, hey, we had talked to our original OB about that I wanted to catch the baby. And she was on board with it. How do you feel about it? And she said, this is my third pregnancy. And I've been trying to get my husband to do it for all three. Yes. Like you're in. Awesome. Um, so she was very receptive to, you know, if we said no to something or wanted to try something different or wanted to do something slower, um, she was extremely receptive to it. She was like, please eat, you know, whatever, like get some food in you. It's going to be a long day. So she was very um, open to kind of how we wanted to do the induction. So that part was great. We, you know, we break the water all of a sudden I'm, you know, from a four to a six, like, great. Mm -hmm. At that point, I think that's when you and I started talking about different positions with the peanut ball. Yeah. Um, And so here comes Matt Salas 
rolling me around and putting peanut balls in places. And, you know, he was kind of keeping track of you've been there for 15 minutes. Let's roll you this way. You've been there for 15 minutes. Let's try this that Heidi had said. So he was very on top of all the positions that you had sent, which I'm just thrilled and over the moon with him. It was like having my own personal labor and delivery. Go Matthew, go Matthew, go Matthew. Amazing, amazing human being just in general, but like would have a baby with him again. Um, So we were doing all of the things. So at about 9 p.m., um, I asked them to sit me up because it just felt like I wasn't making a ton of progress. And that was one of the things you had recommended was let's get gravity on your side. So they, you know, did the whole transformer bed um, and got me from laying down to sitting up. And I remember at that point feeling like maybe my epidural was starting to wear off. Um, but I wasn't in pain. I was just starting to feel pressure. I was like, that's what everybody says. You don't feel pain. You feel pressure. So I stayed like that for about an hour. And then I could tell like the, the bearing down pressure was just getting more consistent and longer. And I was falling asleep, sitting up and, you know, so it was, I was still very comfortable. So at that point that that pressure just became consistent, I buzzed for my nurse and she came in and she said, okay, let's check you out. Let's see what's going on. And as soon as she laid me back, it was like somebody hit the off switch on my epidural. And I still don't know what happened, (laughs) but it was gone. So I was numb from the middle of my thighs down, which is great, but not where I need to be numb at that point, right? Okay, this is, I I know where you're going with the end of the story. And I wasn't like even part of that part of the story. When you have an epidural and it first goes in and you're four centimeters dilated, right? Like you're like, this is the best thing in the world. I'm not feeling much of anything at all. And you take a long nap, right? And then the baby drops down into the pelvis. And I'm telling you guys, 100% of the time, well, no, I'm not going to go 100% because sometimes the epidural is real heavy and you don't feel anything. But like most of the time when the head gets really comfortable with a lot of the nerve endings way down low and that pressure builds and that pressure builds, I see my birthing persons just start to squirm, right? Oh, the moms are just like, oh my God, move, 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 move. They're like, it's not working. It's not working. And it's like, "Mm, it's time to push. So I'm assuming you were 10 centimeters dilated and ready to push. And it's not that your epidural wasn't working. It's just that like the, the baby has now come to a point where the epidural doesn't go, (laughs) which is push your baby out zone. Uh And they don't tell you that. Nope. It's like, people should tell you like, yeah, oh, you're feeling pressure, not pain. And I remember the nurse saying, you're feeling pressure, not pain. And I was like, I'm going to hurt you. Like, I know what I'm feeling. And because it, it did change from pressure to pain. And I think that's the part that I wasn't anticipating. I just thought, oh, I got an epidural. So the whole thing's going to just be, you know, pressure, not yeah. like actual ring of fire. I thought I had opted out of the ring of fire. Yeah. So, and like I said, <laughs> I some people, there will be some people who like, you know, don't even know how to push because the epidural is so heavy and they literally can't feel anything. Right. And I've told the story on the podcast one time I opened the mom's like leg up to like roll her position and the baby came out and I was like, oh, like she didn't even push. That was weird, you know? Um, So like every now and then, but for the most part, we'll see anyone having a baby just start to get squirmy. Like, oh, this is really starting to feel. Um, I will, you know, this is just in all fairness, everyone, right? It's still, you're still probably only feeling about like 
10 to 20% of what you would be feeling if there was no epidural at all. So it does take significantly take the edge off, but still can be, you know, quite, quite painful. Yes. So, and I just wasn't anticipating it. I think had I anticipated it, I probably would have been, and maybe I didn't pay attention in class that day, but I probably would have been more prepared for it. (laughs) But a lot of what I had learned from the natural module in birth story Academy kicked in. And I thought, okay, I, this is the boat I'm in. So I better figure out how to row it. Right. So they said, okay, we're, you're complete. Let's do some test pushes and then we'll call the doctor. I did three test pushes and they were like, stop, we're going to call the doctor. You're pretty good at this. So that means that like the baby was at the base of your vagina. And when you pushed the labias were opening, that's Mm -hmm. when like they, they prefer to have someone trained in delivering a baby be in there, including your NICU team, because you had gestational hypertension and you were early. Well, like I would call late preterm. Definitely. So I kept asking them, like, can I sit back up? And they sat me back up because I thought, okay, that'll help my nausea and that'll help the pain. And it it just got worse. So I'm like, okay, let me back down. Oh, no. So I'm like, where is that doctor? And they're like, she's 15 minutes away. Yeah. So if you guys are listening and this happens to you, if I had gotten a hold of Morgan or I had been her doula, I would have thrown a nitrous oxide mask on your face. And how'd you just breathe in some nitrous oxide? Because that can be like a a gentle way to just kind of take the edge off, right? Or did you have an epidural button? So I had an epidural and I bolused it and it didn't didn't touch it. It It did nothing. And I don't know if I was just too far behind it. No, Um, it just, it was where the epidural was placed. Yeah. Yeah. It was just where the epidural was placed. It just wasn't going to cover that part of you. Um, So anyway, so you guys, tips bolus the epidural, meaning like push the little button they give you with the epidural and then maybe, maybe try on some nitrous oxide is like another, another good tip. If you're just like having an epidural that seems to not be working (laughs) while you're pushing. (laughs) Right. So they, um, they laid me back down because I was getting so kind of out of sorts to tell you the truth. And Matt got a hold of me and just kind of like locked on and he was like, you're going to have to breathe and we're going to have to get through this. And so my nurse and the tech were kind of like chit chatting and small talking back and forth. And he could tell that like it was not going to put me in the zone. Um, and so he just kind of got face to face with me and was like, we are going to do this. And like, you're going to be okay. And you can do this and you're amazing. And this is going to be fine. Awesome. Um, so he was, just incredible through it. And he jokes now that like in our hospital bill is probably like the arms of the hospital bed. Cause I was just, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, I heard your voice and I heard first story Academy and I thought, okay, I need to get vocal and just stay low and keep my mouth open and my airflow going. And so I just was moaning through it. Um, and I could feel my body contracting and trying to push her And I remember the nurses saying like, don't push. I'm like, I'm not, it's, it is my body doing this. And I was so thankful for what I had learned from you knowing, okay, like my body's doing its job now. And so I think that helps me not panic as much as maybe I would have. Yeah. Like your body will not hurt itself. Your body will not hurt itself. And so at some point in that 15 minute wait, Fallon's heart rate started to crash again. Um, And I remember the nurse telling me, you need to roll onto your side. And I said, I can't, I can't move. I can't move. 
And she said, you're going on your side. Oh, <laughs> this makes me mad, Morgan. Well, what you needed like to do was push. No, what you needed, Morgan's yeah. heart rate was decelerating because her head was being compressed for too long because you were, your body was supposed to be pushing her out. Your body was trying to be pushing her out. So if you had been given permission to follow your body's lead, Fallon's heart rate wouldn't have been tanking because she would have already been on the outside. She wouldn't have been yeah, on the inside anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My oh. like, why are we not doing this? She's ready to go. And I, I remember telling them, and we have an audio recording of the whole thing. I had asked Matt, like, I want an audio recording because I want to hear her first cry again. And so we have an audio recording of the whole thing. And I was actually surprisingly calmer than I thought that I was. And I just remember telling them like, I, she's going to come like that doctor needs to get in here. And you can hear at one point in the recording, the nurse says, where is she? She's got one minute. And I'm like, she doesn't have that long. <laughs> so here comes the doctor flying in the room. Right. And remember earlier in the day, Matt had asked, I want to be involved. I want to catch. And yeah. So she points at him across the room. She says, are you still in? And he said, I'm in. And they throw a gown on him and they throw gloves on him. And they're trying to like tie him up. And she's like, we do not have time. <laughs> like slide him in here. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. It was it, uh, amazing. Amazing. So we had kind of anticipated it would be like, okay, put your hands where my hands are. And like, I'll teach you how to drive. She wheels him up front and center right and like he's at the business end of everything and she's standing over his shoulder coaching him into it she's like here's where you're going to put your hand so she you know like shows him and then leaves him alone and says like okay now this is going to happen so when fallon's head was born she then got involved and helped turn her um and she had a her cord was wrapped around her neck twice so she took care of that right away yeah and then just kept coaching Matt and telling him what to do. And so I remember feeling each part of Fallon coming out of my body. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so unbelievable. And I remember in that instance thinking like, okay, I'm not that mad that my epidural isn't working that well, because this is amazing. So cool. Um, but so he fully delivers her, you know, Doc is a little bit involved. They throw her up on my chest. And, or she didn't make it all the way to my chest. They threw her up on my belly and we kind of all knew that something was going on. Like she just wasn't really coming around as fast as we had hoped that she would. And so, like you said, the NICU team is on standby because you're, you know, late early term and she's a little small and we've got blood pressure problems. So they thankfully did everything in the room. So they whisked her right over to the warmer and kind of got her rubbed and warmed up. And I'm asking, is everything okay? Is everything okay? And Matt's back up at my head and, you know, he's crying because he's seen her and everything's amazing. And so we finally hear her start to make a little bit of noise. And um, I remember my doctor looking up at me and saying, if they're laughing, everything's fine. Because um, you could hear him kind of chuckling. And um, then all of a sudden we hear this big cry out of her. And so, okay, everything's good. Like she's here. This is over. Like this chapter of struggle and grief and pain is over. She's here. She's good. Everything's fine. Um, and you know, he got to touch her first and he got to hold her first, which is just like the most redeeming thing about the whole experience to me was that he was even with a little bit of complication in there, he was still able to very much be involved in the way that he wanted to be. Cause I think it would have been really easy for the health system to say, stand back, dad, like we've got problems. I'm involved. Right. 
Yeah. I think it's so beautiful, Morgan. And I love that you had great advocacy plans. Like you had preferences for your induction. Like it was, it was um, goosebumpy. Okay. But like, okay. So she turned a corner and she started all that stuff. How much did she weigh? Did she get to come and stay with you for the remainder or, or did she have to go to the NICU at all? No, she got to stay with us, which was really, really, really amazing. Cause I thought, okay, like she was smaller than we had anticipated. She was five pounds, 15 ounces. Okay. Um, which every, that's pretty good uh, for 37 yeah. weeks. Yeah. Was a pretty solid little baby. And um, everybody in my family has huge babies. I was a 10 pound baby. So my mom was like, what do you do with a five pounder? <laughs> We've never had one of these. Yes. So, so she was great. So she got to stay with us. Um, right after she kind of came back around, we noticed that, and they had brought her back over to me. We noticed that all of a sudden there's more people in the room. Like everything was kind of a buzz. And so Matt starts asking like, what's going on? And they're all looking at my placenta. And, um, at that point she was diagnosed with a villainous corn, which we had no idea that she had. Ding, 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 gestational hypertension. Bingo. Now we know. And um, now we know. And so it's like all of a sudden we have all of these questions kind of in our heads that have just been slowly answered over time of like, this explains the gestational hypertension. This explains some of her decelerations that were out of character throughout the induction. You know, this explains a lot. So maybe, maybe her little bit of size, but you know, she was a pretty sizable baby for being that early. Um, had you not induced, she probably would have had some intrauterine like growth restriction or what we call like small for gestational age, you know, so the induction, like it was absolutely appropriate and it was, um, you know, is very helpful for her, for her. Let's just say that. I think it's just amazing too, that my body and her body were working together to tell my body to send up these red flags of hey, look, we've got a problem. Like you've got to get this baby out for both of you, right? And so we have all these people buzzing around and looking at my placenta because a lot of them had never seen one before. And I had never heard of it. It was a really strange kind of experience to see that. And then we had a lot of people telling, we, we still have mixed information on it. So you can probably explain it better than I can. So from what I understand with velamentous cord, and I've seen several, it's only 0.5% of births. So the fact that I've seen several is, you know, pretty unique, but it's where, so you have two vessels in a vein. So like essentially two arteries in a vein, you can have a single vessel, but most healthy cords have two vessels in a vein and they typically attach to the placenta with a with a central cord insertion okay with velamentous cord it attaches like to the amniotic sac versus the placenta and then there's a gap and so with that can be some blood flow issues and things so sometimes we see like really bad things happen with velamentous cord like stillbirth Right. Mm -hmm. Other times we see things like gestational hypertension and small for gestational age, you know, just because there's velamentous cord doesn't mean there's going to be fetal demise or, you know, something terrible is going to happen. It just means it's at a greater risk of the placenta and the baby not exchanging and communicating like blood flow, volume, nutrients, all the things that it needs. It's just a potential 
or a complication. So it sounds like Fallon kind of gave you the warning signs. The placenta gave you the warning signs and she was able to get here earthside pretty uncomplicated. So pretty uncomplicated. So she, yeah, I mean, it was just amazing to think, you know, and I've heard you say it before of like, you think your baby is going through this crazy transformation between like the inside of your body and the outside of your body. So to, to look at her that night and think, Oh my God, you went through all of this today. Um, and you're real and you're here and you're healthy and you're fine. And all of those things was just this rush of emotions that I don't think that we could have been prepared for at all. So she was born at 1129 PM. Um, and we got to snuggle her and keep her to ourselves all night long. And then grandparents got to come the next day. So we, um, for the end of my pregnancy to become complicated, it could not have probably been a better induction. I feel like I learned a lot through Birth Story Academy and also just through the induction that, okay, the next time if I have to be induced, here's the things that I'm going to stand my ground on. Um, and here's how I would prefer to do it. Just because even when you feel like you have a lot of autonomy and a lot of, you know, say in what happens, it still very quickly becomes what they're going to tell you you're going to do. Um, and so I think that I'm a little more prepared going into, you know, if there is a second time to do it that I can say, no, no, this is really what we're going to do because I've, I've been down this road and I've seen it, you know, go a different way. And this is how I'm going to do it this time. Yeah. Well, Morgan, you are super educated, super empowered and informed. Congratulations on the birth of Fallon. Um, before you. you go, though, what's your favorite baby product? So if like your bestie calls you up and says, let's see, Andy was your bestie, right? And Andy's like, I'm having a baby. What are you putting on her registry or what are you buying her? So I am a millennial mom. <laughs> and I think my recommendations like hold true to that stereotype. I There's several small products that we really, really like. And um, the first of which would be the Hatch Sound Machine. We love that thing. We have kept her in our room continuously. So having something that's a light machine and a sound machine at the same time can move it around all over. We love that. Um, and then the best $6 I ever spent was on a butt paste spatula. And I cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> okay, tell me. I don't know what this is. So what is a butt paste spatula? It's a diaper cream spatula. <laughs> I can't believe we're going on the record saying this. Um, diaper cream is hard to get off of your hands and then it gets on everything. So That's so true. Said, yeah, she said, just buy this stupid spatula. It's on Amazon. It's like six bucks. And it literally is this tiny little spatula on one end and then it has a suction cup on the other. So you can just stick it wherever you, you need to when you're done using it. Oh my gosh, I love it. And then, okay. yes, because I'll spend 10 minutes like trying to get this off of my hands. We use yeah. Boudreaux's butt paste still. Yeah. I have an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old in it. Like, like, you know, they still somehow get like just red rashes in there and we still use Boudreaux's and I will sit there just trying so hard to get it off my hand. So, all right, $6 butt paste spatula. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. <laughs> Morgan, thank you so much for being one of the first people to invest in Birth Story Academy and thank you for taking the course and I appreciate you sharing your story today. Thank you and thank you for making it and thank you for being there for me and being a presence throughout my pregnancy, even when you didn't know that you were. You are very welcome. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, 
plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.